Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome back to another episode of Science and Podcast presented by Ye Old Science and Pictures magazine. As always, there are two of us here. This time we're in the same room together again. Pretty Once exciting. Again. Oh, oh, did you hear him? That's him. Yeah. Introduce yourself. And that's me who's in the same room and his name is Jared Adelman. That's Jared Adelman. I'm Madison Dix and we are buds. Mm-hmm. We're going to take you down a road with some rabbit holes, some fun facts, some jargon, and ultimately, we're going to take the headache out of a peer-reviewed scientific piece of literature. <laughs> that is our hope, at least. That's our hope. That is our, um, that's what, what it says on the podcast. If you look it up on Instagram, science underscore in underscore podcast, or you can just tap, tap on over to, um, what is it, scipod.captivate.fm? Something like that. Something like that. It's in our... You know, it's in the it's in the bio in the Instagram. Let's just go to the Instagram. Um, but if you're listening, you've already found it. So welcome. <laughs> Hello again. Hi. What are we talking about this week? Uh, oh my God. So the paper I brought for us this week is quite the doozy, if I do say so myself. And its results actually bolster the ever-growing arguments that we as humans, uh, you know, we tend to tend to underestimate stuff a lot, and we have grossly underestimated the level of complex thought and behavior that many. Many, in fact, all invertebrate animals are capable of. Oh, yeah. No, I vibe with that, for uh-huh. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited to talk about that this week. Mm-hmm. But as you know, listeners, before we talk about the thing that we tell you we're going to talk about, first we <laughs> talk about things that are completely unrelated. So, Jared, will you hop on over to the Fun Facts Corner with me? Yes. Perhaps there was a better way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think not. All yeah, right. You know. Okay. So, my fun fact for this week. Uh, Madison, have you, have you ever heard or seen of... You ever seen of a crane fly? Have I ever seen of a crane fly? I have not. Uh, you probably have. Uh, crane flies, they look like giant mosquitoes oh. because they're true flies, just like mosquitoes are. They're not actually closely related, and the adults are actually nectar feeders entirely. They nectar. are pollinators. Oh, they eat nectar, they pollinate the plants. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, the problem with common names is that crane flies are known in the United Kingdom as daddy longlegs, uh, oh. which here are known as either a spider or a harvestman. Uh, which oh, is yeah. not a spider. Um, they're also known as mosquito killers, which is not true in the case of the adults. Are they mosquito eaters? They are not mosquito eaters. No, but I mean, like, the things that I know as mosquito yes. eaters? That's what they are? So, yes, but no. Um, some of their aquatic larvae, some of them, will occasionally eat mosquito larvae. But to call the flying adults mosquito killers is a complete falsehood. Okay. Yeah. But, like, they're big with, they look like giant mosquitoes with their long legs. Uh-huh. Yeah, I grew up calling those mosquito eaters. So they're pollinators. Yeah. Oh, friends. Mm-hmm. I friends mean, I already indeed. knew they were friends because I don't like mosquitoes. But that's awesome. Ooh, additional fun fact. Uh, you definitely know what uh, Tinophora are. Comb jellies. Tinophora, comb jellies. So there's actually a subfamily of crane flies called, called uh, Tinophoranae. Uh-oh. Which is very confusing because it is basically the exact same name as the phylum of comb jellies, but it's uh, specifically a subfamily so they can say it. For some reason, they use that. It's actually a subfamily of crane flies that mimic wasps and not cone jellies. Uh, so oh. maybe pick a different name, guys, because that was super confusing when I learned about it. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why we have the jargon corner, right? Because uh-huh. they did a, they did a kind of a bad job naming some things. They sure did. Yeah. Yeah. They. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool fact. Wait, the fact is that they're not. They are flies. They're not. They don't eat mosquitoes, and they exist. Is that the whole fact? Yes. They. They are flies. Their adults don't eat mosquitoes. They're pollinators. They exist. Yes. Love them. Love, Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. So for my fun fact, guess what book it's from? Uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, I would think. That's right. Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, and also, that lines up pretty well, because apparently yesterday was um, International Indigenous Peoples Day. Rad. Yeah. Love that. Super rad. 
And if you haven't listened to our podcast before, um, I talk about this book a lot because I'm currently reading it, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, who is an indigenous woman and a botanist. And I learned from this chapter. Um, so have you ever heard of the Emerald Ash Borer? Yes, that is uh, specifically, uh, it's a beetle. It's either, yeah. mm, no, well, it's either a longhorn beetle or a crested beetle, but it's a beetle it that bores into trees. It bores into ash trees, specifically. I'm going to look this up while you talk about yeah, it, because sure. I need to know. Yeah, it's from Asia, um, but it's here because invasive. Um, and it's a real problem for ash trees, because that's the tree on our continent. Bupresta got Bupresta it. Bupresta sure. That they, they bore into and they kill them. Also and called so, jewel beetles, sorry. Jewel beetles, yeah, because they're bright green. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been a big problem for a while, especially in the Midwest and yeah. the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but some partnership between indigenous peoples and scientists went out to do a survey of where ash trees were doing well, um, because we do want to protect them. Mm-hmm. And there just so happens to be a community of indigenous peoples who make baskets out of black ash trees. Um, And it turns out that the area of this continent where ash trees are doing the best is in that community where these basket weavers live, which might seem a little counterintuitive to people because these indigenous people are actually, um, you know, cutting down the trees to make baskets, but because they do it in such a respectful way and they're really good stewards of the forest that they depend on for their livelihood and their craft, um, they've actually done a really good job of protecting those local forests of ash. And it's just another example of how giving land back to indigenous communities is one of the best ways we can protect our planet. Oh, absolutely. Hell yeah. I actually um, have been listening a lot to... uh, you know, don't take a single TikToker's words as fact. Verify what they say afterwards. But there's this, uh, what is, she's a forager. I don't know if there's a specific word for that, but like an uh, urban forager. Okay. She's awesome. Um, And actually challenged a viewpoint I had for a while that urban foraging shouldn't really be done by a whole lot of people because there's not a whole lot of wild to do that in. Right. Uh, but she also brought up the really, really good point that indigenous peoples know how to forage in a way that actually protects the environment. That's right. Um, that's why there's so many wildfires in California. That's because they are letting this immense amount of brush grow and not actually burn off naturally. Um, but yeah. So uh, thank you to that person whose name I can't remember, because uh, I'm not going to tell people not to forage anymore. 100%. And if you do find that person, we can link her in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yay. Yeah. So if you're interested in protecting all of the cool animals that Jared and I talk about, or, you know, Jared and I, or yourself, uh, consider learning more about indigenous communities and the awesome things they do for our environment. And that was our fun fact corner. That was our fun fact corner. Such fun. Mm-hmm. So ready for the paper? No. Jargon. Right, but I have to tell you the title of the paper first. All right, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Common practice, Madison. You're right. We do this every week. (laughs) So uh, the uh, title of this paper is, uh, drum roll please, from... Oh, I was going to do it myself, but thank you. That was a really wet drum roll. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Leaving that in. Um, Perception of biological motion by jumping spiders. Perception of biological motion by jumping spiders. Ooh, I'm excited. Uh-huh. Uh, I was super excited, too. This was published on July 15th of this year, super recent, yeah. um, into the peer-reviewed and open-access journal. Uh, is it PLOS or P-L-O-S? Do you say PLOS? Um, I don't know. Do you say PNAS? I don't say PNAS, because only you do that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> PLOS. So, so PLOS, P- PLOS is the <laughs> public library of science. And the paper's oh, authors. That was funny too. Not letting you derail this. <laughs> paper's authors. Paper's authors. Whew, focus. Very serious. Scientists. Mm-hmm. Massimo De Agro. Mm-hmm. I 
tried to say that in a bright way, probably butchered it. I uh, love the name Massimo. Yeah. Daniela. Madison, can you read that? Uh, I just copied looking? I just copied and pasted her name. Daniela oh, yeah. C. Rubler. Rüschler. What? It's German. It is? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, uh, Daniela C. Rüschler. Um, mm -hmm. Also, Chris Kim. Jesus. Chris Kim and Paula Shamble. All right. But as you said, before we jump in, as always, there are some key terms to straighten out in our Dragon Corner. Oh, we love the key terms. Mm -hmm. uh, first up is the Salticidae. Salticidae. Um, I could think of a lot of jokes, but not a definition. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, the word Salticidae comes from the Latin uh, word saltare to dance. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a family level grouping of spiders. Uh, and also go by the quite accurate common name of jumping spider. But like... In the Latin, they're more like dancing spiders. They are dancers. And if you look at species like the peacock jumping spider, they are certainly dancers. And beautiful. And beautiful. And beautiful. Absolutely. I would love to be as beautiful of a dancer as a peacock spider. Mm -hmm. uh, but the common name jumping spider is a nod to their hunting style and preferred method uh, for navigating the obstacles of their tiny little world. Jumping spiders can and do make silk, but not generally for the purposes of prey capture. Instead, uh, the majority live the lives of active acrobatic predators, using their considerable strength and incredible dexterity to make food of both flightless and flying inverts with ease. Oh, so cool. Good for them. They are the greatest. Not only that, uh, the Salticidae are the most diverse and successful spider family by far, with over 6,100 described species and counting. Oh, there's more jumping spiders than web builders? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, within that, you will find all sorts of incredible specimens, including species that have become near-perfect mimics of ants, a curious Central American species that is entirely vegetarian. Ooh. Uh-huh. Wait, uh, are there more than one vegetarian spiders? That is the only true vegetarian spider that's known, but it also means that we can't call all spiders carnivorous anymore. You're right. Can I meet him? Her? Them? Can I meet all of them? Um, Bergy... Uh, something Kipling Eye is the name of the spider. I'll show you later. Bergy something Kipling Eye. You heard it here first. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Um, oh, just uh... Just like, there's, um, you know, omnivorous sharks. Uh-huh. That was just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and you'll like this one because of the whole pigeon milk thing. There's actually uh, spiders that nourish their young with a substance analogous to milk. You know, for some reason I'm fine with that with spiders, but I don't like the pigeons do it. Don't get that. Okay. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the Salticidae. Those are jumping spiders. Okay. Salticidae. Salsa dancing spiders. So Sal I'm going to remember that in my head. Salsa dancing spiders. I like it. Mm -hmm. Next up, biological motion. Biological motion. Is that like how plants move? That's how plants don't move. Okay. To, to, to put it more accurately, as weird as that is to say. Um, so to, to put it in science speak. Wait, 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 hold on. Before you put it in science speak, can I guess one more time? Oh, yeah. Is it how things move by growing? No. Okay. Nope. It's not that, guys. It's not that. It's going to tell us what it is. <laughs> no worries. So in science speak, biological motion is the, quote, statistically identical idiosyncratic pattern of movement unique to vertebrates and rigid invertebrate animals. Oh. Oh. Translated into actual English, uh, biological motion is the predictable pattern of movement seen in animals with rigid bones and or jointed limbs. So walking. Walking. Jumping. <laughs> running. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's that. <laughs> Word, what, but not for fish. Not for fish. No, fish have biological motion. Oh, because the swimming is also included. Yeah, semi-rigid is still rigid. They have a skeleton. Right, okay. So it's not just walking. What's right. up? It's not just walking. Well, not just walking, but it's, walking is part it's all included. Of, it's, it's, um, it's the place, the ways we get from place to place um, if, if we are us. Okay. Sure. To put it another way, it's why you can be quite confident that any human you pass by on the sidewalk is only going to walk by in a way that is physiologically impossible, uh, for their skeleton to achieve. 
Um, if you walk by that human and they suddenly begin ragdolling and elongating un uncontrollably, you're either playing a, gl a glitchy video game or having a really weird dream. Hell yeah! So that's that's the concept of biological motion. Humans are not capable of movement our skeleton doesn't allow. That's true. Except for... <laughs> when it breaks. Or, you know, there's contortionists. Well, yeah, but their bones aren't contorting. That's true. That's true. But they can do motions that my skeleton absolutely will not allow. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> also fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, fact remains, biological motion is that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And last up in the jargon corner, point light display. Point light display. Um, lights displayed in points like stars? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, but this is also one that's better visualized than heard. Um, if we're going back to another video game analogy, for those that will benefit from it, uh, i.e. not Madison, uh, point light display... <laughs> I don't do the video games, but I respect you all. Very good. Uh, point light display is essentially what's being created. Um, Madison, I'm sure you've seen like the old school videos of like someone in, in, a, in a green screen wearing a suit that looks like it's covered in like tiny light bulbs. Oh! And then they move around and then their movement is projected on... on like... Yeah, stop motion capture. Andy yeah, Circus. exactly. And Andy, it sort of looks Andy, like a wireframe person. Yeah, Andy Circus like 100% like did that. Oh, who's that? He's he's the guy who originated the character of Gollum, Smeagol. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that was a point light display. While nice. it was still like, if you draw the wireframe, it's no longer a point light display. It's yeah. just the points. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm with it. Very good. Yeah. I mean, we can, if we can connect it to Lord of the Rings, I'm going to get it like like that. Exactly. Um, another important <laughs> thing to understand is that point light displays are... No, I'm not going to say that yet because that's actually the context of the study. So we're not going to talk about it yet. Oh, guys, we're going to find out something new and secret about point light displays. Put that in your pocket for now. Maybe not that secret, but you're hyping me up a little bit too much here. Well, you know what? I'm excited. <laughs> Very good, because uh, we're done. Um, point light displays are essentially the same concept as that person. Um, it's specifically an organized group of dots that move in a rigid, stereotyped fashion, much like in biological motion. So yeah. you can use a point light display to illustrate biological motion without giving it an actual shape. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that just yet. That was what I was stopping myself. Anyway, let's okay, jump in. Okay, I'll forget before you say it again. The listeners might not. All right. They might. They might. <laughs> let's jump in. Okay. So, for basically any animal, knowing the difference between a fellow animal and an inanimate object can be the difference between getting eaten or safely getting through another day. That probably sounds very obvious said by itself, but think for a second how truly impossible a task it would be to memorize every single one of the animals that you may ever encounter. Never mind how much of a threat each one might be. Yeah, like, I I tried for much of my youth. I was not successful. I'm still trying, still not successful. Yeah. Uh, gonna keep trying, though. But <laughs> even with the extra processing power our, our human brains are capable of compared to other animals, this goal remains a pipe dream at best. Uh, same is true of any animal. That's yep. why our brains navigate the world, by seeking general, stereotypical, and reliable patterns to guide our decision-making, whether we're actually conscious of this fact or not. We sure do. Uh-huh, and it is good to be conscious of it. We must be conscious of it. That's how we avoid internalized bias. Yes, indeed. Um, so a great deal of testing on vertebrates, uh, those backboned animals like us, of all kinds, has shown that one of the ways we get around this, uh, you know, processing problem of memorizing every single animal and non-animal is by instead relying on the presence of biological motion as a guiding cue. That's true. Uh-huh. It's been tested in human babies. It's been tested in a lot of different babies of a lot of different animals. And that's also why when you show a baby a puppet, they're like, whoa, that's a real frog! Because yep. you, you are moving it by a... Never considered that. That's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so, get this, though. Um, no one has ever tested whether biological motion is used by a single invertebrate. Of course they haven't. Not the cephalopods. Famously intelligent. 
not uh, the animals we're about to get into. Not a single invertebrate has ever been tested to, to recognize biological motion. Yeah, well, that makes sense to me because um, humans, as discussed, are very biased. And um, for most of history, most scientists who are published all fall into the same tiny little category. White male. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, and yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't care that much about anything that was different than them, um, as evidenced by. Can we say this on the podcast? Oh yeah. The fact that the clitoris was not included in anatomical um, medical textbooks until the nineties. Did the not know you were going to say that. Nineties. Um, how would you know I was going to say that? And yet, <laughs> and yet I got your permission. Well, you know, you got away with it. Um, but all of that said. Any good scientist understands uh, that on its own, the absence of evidence is not necessarily evidence of absence. It could have just mean we haven't looked. Yeah. Like literally. Maybe L that. Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> Title of this episode. <laughs> okay. So, the authors of this week's paper set out to challenge the absence of evidence using jumping spiders as their models. Why jumping spiders, you may be wondering? Um, no, I love them. Well, for one thing, <laughs> uh, jumpers in general are already known to be quite active and behaviorally flexible predators. Furthermore, a lot of previous research has revealed a highly developed visual system that they rely on heavily for hunting and just navigating their world in general. Uh. Like most spiders, jumping spiders not only have four pairs of walking legs, but four pairs of eyes as well. I was just, um... I was waiting for you to finish here. Yeah. Thing. Uh, we could probably cut this part, because I was 100... I was acting it out for <laughs> for the podcast. Such good radio. Okay. <laughs> we might keep it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, talking about those those four pairs of eyes, on the basis of anatomical, uh, neurological, literally tracking the nerve from the eyes to the brain, and behavioral analyses, it is thought that each pair of eyes actually partly serves its own specific task. It's called the division of labor hypothesis. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. That's interesting. So wait, so they basically have like, so they have four pairs of eyes, but each pair has their own job. Mm -hmm. Okay, continue. So, so we think. Uh, so we see. Mm -hmm. So the largest pair, jumping spiders are known for their huge primary pair of eyes. Yeah, they're so cute. Uh-huh. So those are called the anterior medial or primary eyes. Ooh, anterior medial eyes. Anterior medial. Anterior medial. Mm -hmm. That's front part of the body, right smack dab in the middle. Anterior medial. Uh-huh. What they do. They have a pretty narrow field of vision, but also the highest visual acuity. Um, that means that they're the sharpest eyes. And they're, yeah. yep, so they're thought to play a leading role in color and figure or shape recognition. So, like, the full picture of something and what it is. Okay. The Those seem really important. Um, however, I'm excited to find out what the other ones do, because that, that seems, like, good enough. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other three pairs are known collectively as the secondary eyes. Uh, go figure. Next to the primary pair, uh, off to the, to the sides of it, sit the anterior lateral eyes. Those have low visual acuity, but a much wider field of vision. And those are thought to take the lead in, in the perception of motion. Maybe important later, we'll see. That makes sense to me, because, so I discovered at the Museum of Science that I have really, really good peripheral vision. Really? But I'm not that great at tracking. And it's interesting because peripheral vision is where we're most motion sensitive and in front of us is way where we have the most focus. I'm really glad you're talking about tracking things with your eyes because that's going to become super important later. Exciting. Let's see what I have in common with the jumping spider. <laughs> so we just talked about the uh, anterior lateral eyes. Uh, further to the sides of the head region or the prosoma, that's what you call the head region of spiders, mm -hmm. uh, sits the posterior lateral eyes, which are thought to have the same degree of uh, function of the previous pair of eyes, 
because of their position, uh, they probably endow jumpers with a near 360-degree field of view oh, wherever rad. they're sitting. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. So, like, what's in front of them, they're like, yeah, I can see that super well. I get the picture. But then all the way around them, they're like, yeah, I can see that, too. Kind of like those cars that have cameras everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can back up no problem. Uh, listeners, look up a picture of a jumping spider uh, side view. You'll see the uh, those pair of eyes I'm talking about. You know a jumping spider can back it up. He's a dancer. Okay, sorry. Okay. Um... <laughs> 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 I didn't understand that reference, but movie. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a reference. I just made it up right there. Oh! Except, well, I guess it was a reference to back it up, like well, in the club. Then I apologize for my lukewarm reception. You back it up, you bounce it, you drop it like it's hot, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, listeners. One of us is a performer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the last pair kind of get the end of the stick. Uh, they're believed to be vestigial, or uh, in the evolutionary process of phasing themselves out. No longer useful, but still there. Yeah. Like, still there. <laughs> What are you going to say? What are you going to say? I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to get political. <laughs> Probably a safe bet. Um, <laughs> ooh, uh, so here's where that talk about tracking things with the eyes moves in. Uh, when certain stimuli are detected by a jumping spider's secondary eyes, it will actually rapidly pivot its body towards that stimulus to investigate with its primary eyes. As will I. Uh-huh. It's actually called the exact same thing. So those quick pivots of their body are called the same thing as quick pivots of our eye. Saccades. 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 S-A-C-C-A-D-E-S. One more time. Saccades. No, no, spell it again. S-A-C-C-A-D-E-S. Saccades. Saccades. One would think it's called saccades, because that's like how usually two C's are said in science, but I looked it up and it's saccades. Saccades. See, I didn't know what that was called either, and I like that word. I do like that word. Yeah. It's It's a fun word. Cool. So like the way that we see motion and like our eyes will dart to one side, Mm -hmm. like Jim looking into the camera in the office, spiders, they just do that with their whole body. Yeah, because they got eyes all over the body. Love it. Yep. It is the coolest thing. Yes. The term is the same because the movement itself is for the exact same purpose. We train our eyes towards things that uh, strike strike their interest. Yep. Interestingly, though, also, uh, jumping spiders don't actually exhibit saccades in response to all moving objects. Only some. Only... Oh, oh I have a guess. Don't guess yet. I won't. <laughs> uh, this preferential... Actually, yeah, guess. Things that exhibit biological movement. We'll see. Um, this preferential turning strongly suggests that the secondary eyes are capable of differentiating between moving figures and, uh, uh, biologically moving figures, I should say, and selectively giving attention to some over others. Could the presence or absence of biological motion be a guiding cue in making their decision to pivot? That is the question our author sought to answer. I love that, because for me it is. Like, I, I can be in the middle of a, of a conversation that's really important, but if a fish jumps over there... Derailed. Oh, I'm going to look at that. Absolutely. Yeah. Gets my attention. Yep. <laughs> so, to figure it out, a total of 60 individuals of a Mediterranean species of jumping spider called, I really like its name, uh, Menomeris semilimbatus. Menomeris semilimbatus. No common name. Sure. Not Great. very well known. Doesn't uh, need one. It's like, call me by my full name. Yeah. Okay. Madison, there's a picture. Cute little fat butt spider. Oh my god! He could really back it up in the club. Mm-hmm. Got a... Oh my god! And their anterior uh, lateral... Uh, Posterior lateral eyes are actually super They're quite evident. big. It's right there. Do you see yeah. It? Oh, yeah. Hey, he's looking at me. Oh, like, actually, this one, you can see it even better. You know, in right Instagram there. photos where, like, there's the booty and then they look over their shoulder. Like, every, <laughs> everyone's posing that right now. Like, he was born that way. <laughs> Love it. Oh, my gosh. So, for the listeners, this is a beautiful little spider. So, mm-hmm. the, the part that you would call the butt. Um, so, we call that the abdomen in spiderology. Looks like a bunny. 
It does. It's bunny colors and it's really fuzzy and it has a nice pattern. Um, and then the, the, the middle part that's like face plus body altogether, thorax. So spiders have two body parts, um, and what you want to call them is honestly kind of up to you, but okay. I mostly see people calling the head part the prosoma and mm -hmm. the back part the abdomen. Okay, so the prosoma, other no otherwise known as the front part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also kind of looks like a bunny, but like a more... With eight eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like a bunny <laughs> with eight eyes, and two of them are just looking right over the booty, right at you. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the eyes are actually kind of cute. Aren't they? They're like, yeah. Little like, telescopes. They kind of remind me of wolf eyes. They do, don't they? Yeah. It's really cool. Oh, uh, while I still have your attention, too, uh, I just uh, saw a picture of an ant mimic jumping spider. Whoa. Okay, so that's a spider? That is that is a spider, mimicking an ant. Guys, Jared just showed me a spider that looks just like an ant. Mm -hmm. But there are the eyes. Interesting. So they can't hide those. You know, I actually, <laughs> I do prefer spiders to ants. Really? Yeah. So if I saw this, I'd be like, hey, no, be yourself. I respect the fact that a bullet ant can literally put you in the hospital for a day due to pain. So... I don't have a reason <laughs> for why I like spiders more than ants, really. I guess spiders have wronged me less. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, oh, I should note that all of these spiders were uh, released after the experiment. They were field collected and then just kind of put back. Oh, good. Um, but uh, of the ones that were collected, there were 31 females, 10 males, and 19 unsexable juveniles. Because most jumping spiders aren't sexable till the adult molds. Yeah, people as well. <laughs> yeah, we both, sure. It's a joke. It's not me by tracks there. Actually, um, so, well, medical professionals this year just recommended um, taking biological sex off of birth certificates. Because oh, of it's course something... we should. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that just reminded me of that. I actually had someone yell at me in uh, one of the Facebook ID group, group, groups I'm in for, for telling someone that animals don't really have an understanding of gender. That's correct. Because it's a human concept only. Yeah, it's a yeah. societal construct. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, our modern society has mostly an understanding of two genders, but that's not been the case over all of human history. Yeah. Um, okay, continue. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, you're, you're going to love this next part. Yeah. Um, but, oh, uh, before that, though, uh, each spider was fed a mealworm, single mealworm, real cute, Great. Uh, in order to ensure that they were all sated prior to testing and no hunger-associated behavior would gum up any gathered data. So same concept as the tit experiment. <laughs> knew that would get for those, for those of you who are just listening for the first time, the tit experiment is about, <laughs> is about birds. It's not I didn't what you laugh think. at that. It's not what you think. It's your mind's out of the gutter. Yeah, and I didn't laugh at that last part, so why would you even... We never make jokes like that on here. How dare you? I would never. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is the part you're going to like. Uh, the test subjects uh, were each placed on a tiny spherical treadmill. It was a ball <laughs> held up by compressed air. Uh, so it's actually most helpful to uh, picture them doing, well, not the seal in the circus, because that's actually cruelty, um, yeah. but balancing on, on top of a ball, literally oh walking across it. goodness. Or, like, all of those cartoon scenes where someone's, like, like, on a ball, like, trying to, oh, my God. Or, like, James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. They all, oh, my God, just a little spider on a tiny ball, just running as fast as he can, but he's got a belly full of mealworm, his booty's bouncing. Oh, yes. Oh, we love. So good. So the spider itself uh, was slightly elevated using a stream of... Oh, no, sorry. The sphere itself was slightly elevated using a stream of compressed air. Um, so it was basically held up in the air. Oh, and my God. All, everything that I was just describing, listeners, was floating the whole time. Oh, yeah. It so, was floating. So <laughs> imagine the spider being able to move the ball with little to no resistance. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Are you imagining it? Of course I am. Are you imagining it, <laughs> listeners? <laughs> listeners, are you picturing an egg? Stop. Stop it. Stop picturing an egg. Don't do that. 
so when the spider moved, the sphere did too. And they drew irregular surfaces on it, so all movements uh, that were recorded for, for video capture could actually be tracked as the movement of the spider. Amazing! Uh-huh. So cool. This was such a cool experiment. This is so cool. Uh-huh. I need a I need a feature film. There could literally be a movie about this. I would watch the whole thing. Um, I really wished... Actually, I didn't think to... How did I not think to check if they uploaded video? How um, did you not think to check if this was being nominated for an Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> it only came out less than a month ago, so let's chill with that. Let's, All right. Oscar's let's... so human. Let's fix that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Too much of a human bias. Yep. This is going off the rails again. Well, um, here we are. This is what we do here. Welcome back, listeners. Yep, you know. Um, so... Using this setup, uh, the spiders were exposed to what's known as an experimental forced choice paradigm. You ever heard of that? Forced choice paradigm. No. So this is an experimental setup that exposes the subject to paired stimuli and seeing which one elicits the bigger reaction. Okay. Okay. So like an example would be like little piece of chocolate, giant chocolate cake, which one do you want? Yeah. But imagine someone offered that and basic, uh, and then you couldn't, you had to choose one. Not choosing any was not an option. Oh, okay. So that's where the forced choice is in. Oh, okay. So how did they force that? Okay, tell me more. So basically, you know, I wasn't going to mention this because it could be, be be taken out of context, but the spiders were fine, so f*** it. Uh, they put tiny magnets on top of the spiders' heads and used that to lift them up. The huh. spiders showed no adverse reactions in their behavior before or afterwards, uh, nor were they when, when they were released. Okay, so I love that there's tiny magnets on the spiders and that they're fine. Mm -hmm. That's important. However, can you explain to me why... Because the spiders would not stay on the treadmill if they were not being uh, held there by magnets. Oh, okay. So, okay. So then what's the choice? The choice is to look at one stimulus or the other. I see. See what I mean? So because the magnet holds them on the treadmill, then they have to choose which one they're going to look at. Exactly. Because they can't choose to just get the heck out of Dodge. Exactly. You're either going to look at one or you're going to look at the other. I see. You get it? I see. I get it now. Awesome. Okay. Good, because I didn't think I was going to be able to explain that well. Um, ba, 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 ba. We get it, right, listeners? If you don't get it, write us. Let us know. Yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, for this force choice paradigm, five different point light displays uh, were created and paired uh, to see which uh, the spider would actually turn to or turn to less. Okay. There's probably a better way of saying that. So word. there were two different point light displays. In each force choice paradigm. In each force choice paradigm. Five displays total. Five total. Okay. You ready to hear about the displays? That's what I was going to ask next. What were the five displays? Okay, so the first display was biological motion. It was a point light display of biological motion of a jumping spider. Oh, so the first one is you. Not you. Yeah, I mean, well, talking to the spider. The first one's you. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not, to, not really, because one of them was actually a silhouette of a spider moving. Oh, okay. So that was, like, an actual moving animal that the spider definitely would have been able to, like, not confuse with anything. Uh, but more on that later. Okay, so the first one is just a point light display uh -huh. of a moving spider. The second one is a silhouette of a moving spider. Second one is just the silhouette. So not the points moving in the way that they do, but just the silhouette of it. More informative, though, because it actually has the shape of a spider. Fair. Fair. You know? More informative. To the spider. As far as, like, visually. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I was trying to avoid in my paper because they went really, really in-depth into this. But basically, the reason a point light display is important for this study is because it gives you perception of motion without the object doing it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So first, option one, we have the motion of a spider. 
with no other context. Yes. Option two, we have the shape of a spider doing the motion of a spider. Exactly. All right, moving forward. Uh-huh. Number three uh, was the scrambled motion stimulus, which is just like the biological motion in that there's a predictable path that the dots are going to take, but the starting points of all the dots are going to be completely thrown out of whack and randomized. I see. So it's like the way the dots are moving in the way that, you know, biological motion would work, but it's like they're scrambled in a way that no actual skeleton would move like that. Yeah, picture a person with their legs uh, where their arms should be, their arms where their legs should be, and everything else completely wrong with them, but they're still moving in the way that their limbs are designed to move. I mean, what I'm going to tell you I'm picturing is, you know the gif of, like, the spoopy bones? Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay, you know what? Either is acceptable. It's a skeleton, the uh, bones all move around, and they still dance, but they're, they're in the wrong place. <laughs> so that's number three. Oh, okay. That yeah. little thing you did with your hands made me actually realize what you were saying. Great radio. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Definitely good. Um, so the last one is going to be a random motion stimulus. Random motion stimulus. So in the random motion, starting points are the same. The direction the dots are going to take is the part that's random. Okay, so, so like... it starts as, as something you could probably recognize as, as the shape of a spider, and then they just kind of explode in random directions. All right. Yeah, I feel that. Mm-hmm. I don't have an analogy for it, but... That's okay. I feel like we get it. Yeah. <laughs> Picture an exploding dot spider. Yeah. Um, so the last one was the silhouette of an oval in motion. That's it. Oh, okay. Just like a moving circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely could not be taken as biological movement because it is a rigid shape just sliding across the screen. You know? And now I'm trying to think of anything that's alive that does that. Are you picturing an egg? I am. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> so... These five stimuli, in turn, were presented to the spider subjects to determine which stimuli they tended to uh, prefer turning towards or away from. So the first pairing, you ready for the first pairing? First pairing, yes. So the first pairing, the biological stimulus was paired with the random motion stimulus. That's the stimulus uh, where it's got the same starting points, but random direction Exploding moving. spider. Exploding yes. spider. So we've got, we've got dots moving like a spider compared with exploding spider. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you think they turn towards more? Well, I'm going to hope. Dots moving like a spider. So analysis showed uh, the spiders having a clear preference uh, for saccades towards the random motion stimulus. Oh, by really? Turning towards it far faster on average. Maybe it was a it was the what the f effect. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tantalizing point that we might actually talk about later. Okay. <laughs> um, next, uh, the random motion stimulus was taken and paired with the scrambled motion stimulus. Okay, so, so we've got exploding spider compared with dancing bones. Yes. Also, guy with arms where his legs should be. Dancing bone slash guy with his eye. Yes. That one. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in this one, analysis revealed that the jumpers disliked the scrambled motion nearly as much as the biological, uh, meaning that they turned towards uh, the random stimulus with strikingly similar speed uh, and not so much the scrambled. Oh, so they still liked the exploding spider. Yeah, they liked the one that was less biological. Oh, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Next, the biological stimulus was taken and paired with the scrambled stimulus. Analysis here showed an ever-so-slight preference for the scrambled motion stimulus. Oh my gosh, so they really don't like things that look like like a real, like, moving spider. Doesn't seem like it. They like the weird things. Uh-huh. Okay. And finally, the oval silhouette was paired with the spider silhouette. Okay. The differences here were the most stark of all, uh, with the spiders saccading towards the oval far, far faster than the virtual spider. Oh my gosh, they really want... They, I guess they really want stability? Could be. Uh, I was actually just about to ask you what this all means. That's a great question. Okay, so like what I was thinking before we went in 
was that the spiders were like 100% going to go for the thing that was most like, like moving like them, like a spider. That so was either, also the prediction of the authors. Yeah. So either the silhouette or like the biological motion spider. Mm-hmm. So because like, that's the thing that you want to look at, right? That's the thing that's most likely to be a threat or a mate. So that, that was my idea of what they were going to look at. So the fact that they didn't want to look at that, well, now I'm wondering like, oh, maybe other spiders aren't a threat. Maybe they're just like, yeah, whatever, that's, I know them. But if it's different than that, they're like, what is that? All interesting points. Or maybe they, they're just looking for the next safe place to jump because they're on a treadmill with a magnet on their head. Also an interesting point. All right. Do you want to hear what the authors have to say? I would love to hear what the authors have to say. (laughs) I'm lost in the dark here. (laughs) Lost in the sauce. Yes. Um, So the study jumpers demonstrated a clear and quite consistent ability to recognize and react to biological motion. That point was abundantly clear. They just hated it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, In every test besides the third, uh, where the random and the scrambled motion, the two wonky stimuli were paired, the spider showed a very clear preference for the stimulus that was less similar to actual biological motion. Like, super antisocial. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, it may not have been the expected preference by any means. Uh, you have just illustrated that. Yeah. But it was nonetheless apparent that spiders reliably turned away from the biological motion when presented with the forced choice. Yeah. So, like, they, they're absolutely... I mean, they got what they wanted in that, like, they proved that they absolutely can recognize biological motion. But it's surprising that they, they didn't want to look at it. It's quite surprising. They did have possible explanations, though. I want to hear the possible explanation. So, um, our authors were, of course, also at a complete loss at first uh, for why biological motion would be the less preferred stimulus to inanimate motion. After all, it would make much more logical sense from our primate perspective to focus our attention on a similarly sized moving animal, to us, the much more likely threat. Yeah. On the other hand, though, jumping spiders are not primates. Not even close. I mean, that's very true. Among other differences, they have four times the amount of eyes we do granting them a far wider field of vision, in fact, pretty much all the way around their body. Yes. Additionally, it was already thought prior to this study that a jumping spider's secondary eyes, uh, specifically the anterior medial pair, can discern between different types of motion on their own, despite having lower visual acuity than the larger primary pair. Oh, cool. So, like, the ones that are looking over the booty are almost as good as the ones looking forward. Kinda. Uh, what this basically, what what this study supports is the entire division of labor hy- hy- hypothesis because the the saccades reliably started as soon as they hit that pair of eyes. So though that secondary pair can probably recognize biological motion all on its own. Oh. Now here's the thing: in a force in in a, in a force choice paradigm, when one thing is clearly an animal and one thing is clearly not, would it not make more sense for the spider to, to turn towards the more confusing one? It would, because you got to figure out what that is. Exactly. Oh my gosh, so like the secondary eyes, they don't need to direct their front eyes toward the thing, because their secondary eyes already know that that is biological motion. So they already have a pretty good idea of what that is. Whereas if something is like a weird dancing bones or exploding spider, then they need the front eyes to figure out what that is. Exactly. It would in fact make more logical sense to get a better look at the less recognizable stimulus. Yeah! So oh here's the problem. This is the tip of the iceberg is the problem. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. It's a great problem. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, in fact, there is another line of thought to consider, which is that the vast majority, in fact, all of, well, no, that's not true. There is another line of thought <laughs> to consider. The vast majority, <laughs> in fact, all, no, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> okay. 
There's also one more line of thought to consider, though, which is that the majority of biological motion studies that have been carried out on, on vertebrates have been vertebrates that are highly social. Oh, yep. Uh-huh. And in general, jumping spiders, not social at all. No. So, maybe we shouldn't presume to understand too much about the perception of the world of an animal separated from us by literal hundreds of millions of years of evolution. It's true. Just because I see a fish jump, I'm like, oh, a fish, I want to meet the fish. Doesn't mean a spider. A spider might see the fish and be like, ah, oh, goddammit, mm -hmm. fish again. And uh, most certain of all, that spider does not want to meet you. No. <laughs> no, and that's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Uh, gist of this and a final message would be, uh, for now, best to wait for further investigations, according to our authors. Yeah. Because, uh, especially, especially since the ability to detect biological motion existing in other invertebrates is probably a rather massive stone left unturned. Uh, one could say a boulder. Yeah, <laughs> especially considering the fact there's so many more types of invertebrates. 95% of our world's diversity of animals is invertebrates. There 95. you have it. Yeah. So that's what I mean by there's so many more types of invertebrates than vertebrates. Yeah, literally, we are, we are so, um, we are the minority here. Uh-huh. Ooh, I have one more fun fact and for you. somehow we have minoritized the invertebrates, even though there's more of them and they're probably more interesting. At least we can understand that there's no, like, ladder to perfection anymore. Like, it's not less, uh, I acceptable. I freaking hope we can understand that, because the ladder to perfection narrative, I hate so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad yeah. one. I dislike. Screw the mark. Uh, he's dead, so I can Screw say... Screw Lamarck! He's... You know? Mm -hmm. Maybe he has a kid? No, that kid would be dead, too. He was in, like, 1600. Yeah. Um, something I mean, like that. Yeah. Oh, I have one more fun fact for you, uh, noting the, the diversity thing. Yes. Uh, have I ever told you before that uh, one out of every four described species of animal is a beetle? Yeah. So that might not be true anymore. <gasps> uh, because, um... Uh, have you ever heard of the Ichnemon wasp? The, the family Ichnemonidae? No, but I do vaguely remember you telling me something about... Things that we thought were beetles not being beetles. Never said that. Oh, okay. He never said that, guys. He <laughs> never said that. Why so, would you say that he said that? <laughs> why would you say it? Stop picturing an egg. Stop it. Um, oh. So it is true that currently one of every four described species is a beetle, but described is the key word. Just, yeah. um, just like the uh, thought that one out of every two animals is, is a parasite is now looking a whole lot like 75% of animals are parasites. Uh. All of the Ichnemonidae are parasites, and they are parasites on an insanely diverse group of insects in turn. Wow. So, they're probably massively, massively undescribed on their own, which would, in fact, quite possibly make most species on this planet of animal uh, parasitic wasps and not beetles. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh-huh. Most animals are parasitic wasps. Okay, so, There were like... basically papers telling people to, uh, telling the waspologists to get their together and start, and start describing more wasps. <laughs> start describing more wasps. We want to hear about the wasps! <laughs> okay, so that reminds me of um, a little pet... A little pet it's not a theory but something that i've been thinking about related to parasites okay i'd love to get your two cents on you know how everybody like in like true crime circles like always calls like serial killers and pedophiles predators mm -hmm. it grinds my gears because i love predators <laughs> like the real ones yeah. <laughs> like animal predators and actual predators like sharks tigers you know the ones um, they're really important they serve a really important function in life cycles and in ecosystems Whereas predators in quotation marks, serial killers, pedophiles, do not. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking I kind of like, think of them as deviant and not predators. So I don't like deviant either because deviant just means deviating from the norm. I mean, the norm probably shouldn't be killing people. That's, I mean, that, I guess that's true. But I have issues with the norm being like held up on a pedestal. I get that. Yeah. So here's my, let me toss this at you. What if we 
convinced everyone <laughs> to stop calling serial killers predators and started calling them parasites. How does that make sense? Because they're actually not serving a purpose where they're helping to, you know, um, balance an ecosystem or balance, you know, societal functions. Parasites balance ecosystems. Ah, shoot. That's what I thought we were probably going to run into. No, they're one of the main balancers of ecosystems. Yeah, shoot. Okay, so I was thinking, like, parasites would be a better comparison because, like, parasites, you know, they'll, like, latch onto something and truly suck the life out of it. Well, that would be a parasitoid that has the intention of killing its host. Most parasites aren't that. Okay, parasitoid. Yeah, okay, call them a parasitoid. I will. (laughs) I will. This is the hill I die on, (laughs) y'all. Interesting hill to die on. That was a fun little, um... Side side pod, uh, true crime crossover. Yeah, side pod, sidebar. <laughs> yeah, side pod, sidebar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, um, dearest listeners, um, do we have anything this week about like what you want to do if you want to like help out spiders or something like that? Well, stop killing them. Um, yeah. if, if you see them in your house, they're probably not there on purpose. Um, a lot of people consider spiders in the house a problem. That is not true. Spiders are a symptom of a problem. You yeah. have an, in- an insect of some kind in your house that that spider has, can- has come inside to hunt. Or there's been a spot of bad weather and the spider is literally escaping death uh, by seeking shelter in your house. Um, There is no spider that is out to bite humans uh, in the United States. There are two spiders that are medically significant, the brown recluse and the black widows. And I've been bit by one and I'm fine. Well, you you didn't get bitten by a black widow. You don't think so? They, if the doctor told you that and you didn't bring them the spider, there was no way that they could possibly confirm that. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't show you that study. Uh, there was a study done in 16 where a group of arachnologists looked, looked through the medical literature and mm-hmm. 78% of spider bites uh, in the medical literature did not provide the evidence to make a valid diagnosis. Oh yeah, I definitely didn't. Yeah. I just showed them a bump on my butt. Oh yeah. So we clearly cannot trust doctors to have the expertise of arachnologists. Okay, I wonder what happened to me then. I wonder. You might have got bitten by a spider, but you just didn't get bitten by a black widow. Probably. Okay. Maybe. Who knows? Okay. I was bitten. I was bit. Well, listeners, I was bitten by. They're native, so 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 I'm not going to say it 100 percent didn't happen. Yeah, but my point in bringing up the story was that I was bitten by a spider and I was absolutely fine, and I got to take the day off work. Yeah. So, (laughs) So, uh, not to say that you should get yourself bitten by spiders because then you can take off work, but I was saying that. (laughs) Well, I guess that's the message. Okay, everybody, uh, thank Um, you for listening and goodbye. Uh, yes, thank you for listening. Don't kill the spiders in your house, and if you're afraid of spiders, just find someone you know who can safely remove them with a cup and put them outside, and thanks for listening. Bye! I thought you were going to say if you're afraid of spiders, take off work. Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs>